0: Conversations with the Mind podcast is sponsored, as always, by MindOps.com. That's M-I-N-D hyphen O-P-S dot com. Come check us out. We're an eclectic counseling company providing both mental health and mental performance services to individuals, small and large groups, teams, businesses, and military individuals through face-to-face sessions or at a distance using phone or confidential video chat apps. We bring a unique Buddhist Western lens and specialize in general psychotherapy for all mental difficulties, sport and performance psychology for performance enhancement through mental training, addiction counseling for any maladaptive or destructive habits, and psychedelic integration therapy to make the most from your visionary medicine work. We're available as well for corporate workshops to address the needs of your employees' wellness. Thank you for listening to the show and please go check us out. MindOps.com and the MindOps YouTube page. Welcome back to the show. Thank you for joining us today on Conversations with the Mind. We're going to get into it here in a minute, but I first want to just remind our listeners to please like and share all of our posts that we put out there. Uh, get this podcast out to as many people as you can uh, on your social media um social network platforms uh i know all of you are probably a lot more connected than i am so uh please help us out and get the message out just by taking a couple seconds and liking and sharing whenever you see our social media posts today we talked to uh ontario jackson uh about a great many topics it was a great podcast um but uh before that i just wanted to make a quick announcement we are um you know, with this episode, this will be episode eighty, and as we continue to evolve and uh, you know try and put out a better listening experience for you all, uh, I've decided that we are going to drop ads from the podcast. Woohoo! That's awesome, right? Um, I know we all hate ads. Uh, I know I do. Um, so yeah, we're going to drop ads from the podcast. Um minus, you know, we're still gonna have these uh really cool mind ops ads for um for the work that I'm doing personally, but uh besides that, yeah, we're we're hoping to have no ads to improve your listening experience. So that's the only announcement for now. Uh let's get into it with the little Arturo complex. Today's good news story comes from the goodnewsnetwork.org. The title of the article reads largest city in Australia is now powered by hundred percent renewable energy. Thanks to a historic deal. Um, this was amazing. I had no idea that, um, that there were places in this, uh, and on this earth, in this world, in this uh, dimension, this time and space, um, that has been so, Focused um, and making so much good progress in this area. So uh, I was talking about the largest city in Australia, Sydney, uh, now being 100% green energy. Um, let's see. Let me give you a couple details here. Uh, so the transition was facilitated through a power purchase agreement with electricity retailer Flow Power. Um, the historic deal cost uh, $60 million in um, Australian currency, um, and it is expected to save Australia 500,000 of their dollars every year. Um, Let's see, it is expected to roughly purge 20,000 tons of CO2 from the carbon footprint of the city, uh, roughly about 70% of its total output before 2024, um, which is several years ahead of its original goal. Um, I just really liked that, uh, you know, it's always a good thing to see, um, you know, especially, you know, we're starting to see pollution ramp back up as people start to go back to work, go back to their normal lives here in the United States. Um, You know, we saw that dip um, in carbon emissions during COVID quite drastically. And I was hoping that people would learn from that and um, maybe, you know. Try and stay home a little bit more, or um, you know, make their trips out into the community a lot more efficient than they have been, uh, so that we can continue um, that positive upward trend of environmental growth that happened, you know, during COVID. And this article just stood out to me right away as um, you know a great model for um, hope in this area, and hopefully, you know, the United States can start looking to some of these uh, models like they have in sydney for our own energy needs in the future um so that's pretty cool and um australia did it via wind and solar power so it is possible uh, as long as we invest in that kind of infrastructure and vote with our dollars vote the correct people into leadership positions in our politics um that have that sort of um outlook for the future so really cool stuff okay i'm going to give you a piece of my mind now so this last week uh you know we started back full contact with um some of our jiu-jitsu stuff and right away you know um all sorts of issues right so from being laid off for a few months uh not used to those sort of um that sort of torque being put on my joints, my body, uh, you know, I noticed a a couple things already. So, um, you know, my back went out on me, um, you know, my shoulder has been giving me issues this week. um, And my whole back, you know, some old rib injuries are showing back up in my back. And so I went to go get a massage. Thank goodness, uh, massage therapy place is open during this time. And they took all, you know, they took all the precaution that they could um, for both me and them with face coverings and things like that. And so I got this uh, two-hour massage from uh, a new woman that I'd never had a massage from. And uh, it was just the most convenient time for me. And I went in. And it was amazing, guys. I, uh, I miss that physical contact so much just from... Every from it being stripped away from our everyday life and to go in and get this kind of body work done for a couple hours was just amazing. Um, and I want to tell you a little bit about the experience because, you know, I've had, you know, my fair share of massages throughout my life. Um, mostly my preference is for like deep tissue or sports specific or neuromuscular um, focused on getting relief to my um, tension areas. Uh, but this woman, um, took more of an integrated approach and it was very healing. And I just want to tell you a little bit about it. So the, so through the whole process and afterwards I was reflecting back on the massage and overall, um, Okay, let me just get into it. So integrative approach. So she was educated in all these different forms of massage and um, although I came in with an expectation of like deep tissue, let's get the work done, she sort of sort of slowed me down a little bit and and uh, explained to me what she does and and her style of therapy and how she uses any number of different modalities to work on the body based on what the body is is telling her energetically and over decades of massage therapy. She is able to pick up on, you know, subtle changes in my body as she's working on it. Um, I found this to be uh, an amazing modality, Um, you know, quite flexible in in the way it's applied. And, you know, but I had my doubts at first, you know, I was like, okay, so I'm I'm paying, you know, for this massage that I can't really afford right now. uh, But I know I really need it. And I know what works in the past, which is this deep tissue stuff. Um, do I really want to go with this new modality and trust this person who I've never worked with? And I went ahead and said, Yep, these are my issues. Please help. Um, oh, there's my co-host Ty chiming in as always on the podcast, uh, probably with the mailman coming by right now. But uh so I'm getting this uh we start the massage off. You know, she's using this great C B D um lotion that uh actually her family produces they, they have a hemp farm up in the mountains so that was really cool to to uh have that extra layer of connection with her and with um you know the love that her and her family put into this product that she's using on me so really cool so we start the massage and um let me think how am i gonna um set this up so in my personal life And this has been a pattern for me for my whole life. You know, I've been working with uh, the process of individuation from my parental figures, mostly my mom. Uh, I was raised by my mom. And so uh, this process of individuation as an adult is a very healthy thing to do in which I take a a look at myself, examine, you know, my own patterns and then also examine the patterns and influences that my mom has had on me and uh, put it all out on the table and pick and choose which ones I think are beneficial for me to continue and really uh, go through a purging process or a letting go process of a lot of patterns, uh, ancestral patterns that, you know, maybe was passed down through my grandma to my mom. And I want to stop at my level. And so I'm working on this stuff presently in my life around, uh, my mom. And, uh, she was the first, this massage therapist was the first person to ever ask me like, beyond what's going in, going on in your body, tell me what's going on in your life. And, you know, I gave her a a quick down and dirty of what I was working on. Um, didn't really go into much detail and you know, this will come in later when I explain this experience a little bit more, but I did not give her much detail Uh, I just told her I was working through some things uh, with my mom, trying to let go of some stuff that I carry a lot of weight and pressure uh, around this issue on my shoulders and my back. And that's where I think a lot of these issues and injuries are coming back up. And she says, okay, lay down on the table and we'll get started. So I lay down and right away uh, I'm laying face down and my face is in this headrest, right? If you've gotten a massage, you know the headrests. And because of COVID, she makeshift uh, makeshifted her own, uh, she put like this tan colored pillowcase around the bottom of the um, headrest so that when I breathe, I breathe into the pillowcase as, you know, it's, it's like, a, like a mask, but it's not so uh, conforming to my face, so it's a little more relaxing. And right away, I lay down on my stomach, put my face in the face rest, and I open my eyes. And... What I see immediately is the inside of this tan colored pillowcase and the light from the, uh, the salt lamps in the room are giving it like this, uh, this glow. And immediately, uh, you know, immediately I was taken, uh, you know, my mind was like, oh, this, this looks a lot probably like the inside of a womb does. Right. So it brought me right back to this, uh, this work that I'm doing on my mother, you know, brought me right back to the beginning of it and and helped me get in the space to just sort of do a life review. And that's really what happened while she was working on me, you know, she worked uh, a lot of different techniques on me. um, And it was the first massage I'd ever had where, uh, as she's working on me physically, I'm having these images and these memories of my mom and and my relationship with my mom, and and my relationship with myself, and how I want that to look in the future, and and um, as she's working on particular tight spots, like very specific memories are coming to my mind, and I'm trying to just pay attention to what that is, and and uh, not disregard it, but perhaps you know she's unlocking some of this stuff by working on the, the trauma that my body is feeling. And again, you know, I never approached a a massage like this before, but by the time I got done, I felt like, like I said, I had gone through like a life review, you know, just thinking about all the ways that I'm influenced and still hold a lot of um, anguish and pain and suffering around, um, you know, my upbringing and things like that and uh, how amazing it was to have this person sort of working that through me and working it out of me. And there was this one point in the, in the massage experience where I literally, you know, had one of these, um, I don't know if it was an out of mind, out of body experience. No, it's definitely in the body, but, uh, I was not identifying, um, in a dualistic way. Right. So I wasn't any, I wasn't thinking anymore about like me as the massage patient and her as the massage therapist, but instead there was this merging, this moment of opening in which um, it literally felt like I was being massaged by the hands of the universe. So take that in. Right. So the universe is, is somehow reading my body and knows already what, what I'm holding on to, what my traumas are. And in a way, this therapist is doing the same thing. But it it felt like her personality just disappeared from the room and that the universe itself was working on my body to help me work through a lot of these uh, mental blockages. Uh, quite amazing. I'd never experienced any body work like that. And uh, I for sure have found my... Um, massage therapist for the future. Um, so I just wanted to share that a little bit. And and that's been on my mind recently about, you know, how certain bodywork work practices, uh, you know, we can view them very easily from a dualistic way uh, as giver, receiver, uh, um, different personalities embodying each role. But when we allow ourselves to sort of let go of that construct, uh, it really does feel like, you know, and embrace from that wholeness, that oneness from the entirety of the universe, uh, maybe just acting through a certain person or a certain stimulus, Um, but something for you guys to contemplate, maybe try opening your mind to that idea that uh, every conversation you have is literally the universe channeling itself through this person that's sitting in front of you um, to give you some sort of message or every interaction that you have with someone is uh, maybe not an interaction at all between two people, but is the universe's way of um, showing you things about yourself. Just kind of interesting to think about. All right. So our intro for today's guest, Mr. Ontario Jackson, it was a pleasure to have him on the podcast. Um, he's a jiu jitsu purple belt. Uh, Texas transplant so he came from Texas and found us at Z's training gym started training with us right away was welcomed on the mat Um, he has a very uh, unique style of jiu-jitsu which I appreciate and what he brings to the mat and he and I share a lot of um, common interests as far as you know things we like to think about and um, you know ideas around politics and government and uh, the reality of all things and stuff like that so uh ontario says he's a an aspiring writer and um an aspiring political leader and we definitely get into that into the podcast Uh, it was a great time if you guys want to reach out to ontario i have uh, included his email address for you to reach out to him in the description below Um, so go check that out otherwise uh buckle up let's get this thing going our consciousness through conversations with interesting people. Our mission is to engage the collective mind piece by piece to bring greater clarity of mind to our listeners locally and across the planet, and to contribute to broaden the shared experiential knowledge and wisdom of existence. All right, folks, welcome back to Conversations with the Mind. I'm your host, Shane Lamaster, and we're here for episode 80. Very special guest, Ontario
1: Jackson. What's up, Ontario? What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. I'm glad to be here.
0: Yeah, glad to have you on. Um, so I know you listen to the show, and uh, the first question is always the same, so we'll get right into it, and that is, um, so the show's title is Conversations with the Mind, and I'm wondering, what does that phrase mean to you? How does it sort of manifest within your mind? What, what images come to your mind when you hear Conversations with the Mind?
1: um mostly meditation but i think of it as sort of a mental audit you know just make sure that i'm good internally or if there is something that i need to address
0: yeah i like that idea of like a mental audit sort of like um constantly having having at least some energy or a lens focused on the inside to like take an inventory daily of sort of what thoughts am I having? What emotions am I having? Why am I having these? Uh, What is my, you know, I like to have those internal dialects like what is my place in the the world? What is my place in this movement going on right now? What is my place in the universe? Um, So my conversations are kind of all over the place, but I really like that idea that you you said of like having a a mental audit.
1: Yeah, man, I tell you what, uh, with everything that's been going on, I've been having to do a lot of like, recentering, you know what i mean? Just uh getting up in the morning and angry or something for no reason at all and you know i kind of got to figure that out and and work through it, you know what i mean?
0: Yeah, so what do you do? What do you do to recenter yourself daily? Cuz i find myself
1: doing that all the time, you know, throughout the day now. Um my greatest um tool on that or the one i use the most right now is just two positives for every negative thought, you know, cause the, the negative thoughts are gonna come. So, you know, I like to have two positives to offset it. And other times I just need to redirect my thoughts. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I like that, you know, that ratio
0: two to one. Um, sometimes though, for me, that doesn't work, right? So like sometimes the negative yeah. thought is just so powerful or has so much, emotion behind it, the two positive thoughts just kind of seem like, you know, just scratching the surface. So, you know, sometimes I got to dig mm-hmm. a little bit deeper.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you think about something long enough, you, you know, it, it can send you into a downward spiral, like we kind of touched on the, the um, social situation that's going on right now. And I haven't looked at the whole video, and I don't intend to, because it'll put me in the pit that I don't think I would ever be able to get out of, or it would at least take, you know, months or years to get out of, you know? So in those cases, I I just have to redirect. I can't ignore it, but I'm not going to look at the things that I can't do stop me from doing what I can. Yeah. You know it's
0: almost like that the emotion that comes with it sort of inhibits our ability to to make effective action happen
1: yeah absolutely
0: so let's let's get right into it let's get right into talking about you know what's going on socially and um you know i think it's great that you know you came on today i mean we're right this is you know we're recording this the weekend after the uh the protests started um, and so there's there's been a lot of political um, debate about it, a lot of media attention um, to these peaceful protests and then um, a number of cities have had riots, um, all sorts of you know conspiracy theories whether you know I don't know if they're true or not out there about you know bricks being delivered to protest sites and um, police officers inciting riots and things like that. Um, but it's a totally different experience for me being a white male, in you know, a white-dominated um, culture, and, uh, you know, I'm very grateful to have you on the show being a black man, and I, I'd love to hear, you know, your perspectives on on what's going on. And I have seen the video, and it's ridiculous uh, if you watch it. I mean, coming from any kind of jiu-jitsu background, you definitely, mm-hmm. I mean, you understand what's possible and what's know a lot more about the anatomy and, and blood chokes and uh you know you, you can sever somebody's spine with the with knee on the neck like that so for, from our perspective you know it seems like common sense but for a lot of people not so much
1: i know right and i feel like if those cops were trained in you just so they they would have known better you know just from being choked themselves and being under a lot of pressure. they would know that this isn't necessary. Get off this guy. You know what I mean? But it's just speculation. It's just, it's just a mess. It's a mess. I was uh, talking to a friend of mine the other uh, day, and he was in Denver, and he said that he saw the pile of bricks. And that's just crazy. How often do you see a pile of bricks, not even at a construction site? You see, like, just a pile of bricks. and there's this conspiracy that they want things to get out of control so they can implement some type of law where they can just start raiding people and arresting them without justification. It's crazy.
0: Yeah. You know, in the last couple of days, I've been seeing some things that have been really, really upset. I mean, obviously it's all upsetting. Um, but the fallout that, I mean, the response from the government, um, you know i I think I heard something about some some uh talks about implementing some martial law and getting troops involved and things like that and in my mind like that's that's exactly what you know uh an authoritarian government wants they want that sort of control because then once they have that control, they very rarely you know give that back up or give you back your freedoms because they have to maintain the control you know that's how all these um terrible uh you know, societies of the past have have come under that kind of um, dictatorship. And so the response from the government seems, well, from the federal government anyway, seems a little harsh. I'm glad that troops are sort of standing up and, and refusing those kind of orders. Um, but still, you know, this is all, whether it's whether it's a conspiracy and it's done on purpose or not, there are entities that are using this to initiate, you know, control mechanisms on the people.
1: For sure. And it's, it's super scary, especially, you know, having kids coming up in this world. It's like, man, I want to do something about it. I don't want to just, like, just throw them out there. And there you go, sink or swim. Sure, how many kids you got? Uh, well, I say I, I have two biological, a son and a daughter and a 21-year-old. I've been in this life since he was two. So I, I can separate
0: mine too. Nice, yeah, so it must be, like what sort of talks have you been having with them about what's going on? I'm sure sure this kind of stuff is, is ruffling their feathers as well as it should.
1: Man, it is so scary. <laughs> um, my, my 20 year old, 21 year old, he's, he seems to be pretty good. He just graduated from college and um, my, my son, 18-year-old, he's graduating from high school. I'm actually flying down to Texas this weekend to see him. And it's, it's scary how he he doesn't really know what's going on, but really the response to it. Because he kind of fits that description. You know, he's, he's a big kid. He's, he's quiet. He's kind of standoffish. And, you know, it's really shyness. But nobody's going to really take that time to figure it out. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah texas yeah i I try to you know not scare him but i want him to be aware of how to handle situations uh, but ultimately i want to get him out of here i want to get him up here with me in uh, colorado
0: yes and you're coming from austin texas right
1: yeah yeah i was in the austin uh, area
0: yeah so i mean I've been to a lot of different places in Texas and Austin certainly seems a lot more um, liberal or democratic or, you know, it seems like they've got their finger on the pulse as far as, you know, what's going on right now um, as opposed to like other places like Houston or Dallas or, you know, out in the boonies of Texas, are probably a lot more conservative. Um, so what What is the, I mean, I hear these stories, right, of of people in Texas just, you know, open carry all the time. And, you know, if everyone has a gun, it'll prevent um, more crime and things like that. And I partially agree with that. You know, I have a concealed carry. Sometimes I open carry if I'm camping, things like that. But, um, but, I mean, what are your thoughts on, I haven't been hearing much news coming from Texas, this this open carry state, as far as, like, gun violence uh, as related to the riots and the protests.
1: Yeah, I haven't heard too much either. Um, Seen a couple of photos where they were using rubber bullets or something like that, Mm -hmm. but it's gotten too crazy. Um, Yeah, they're definitely definitely the open carry or concealed carry. Uh, Texans love their guns for sure, and I too, I'm a gun owner and concealed carry. you know, we had to, we had a couple of shootings there and they were stopped pretty quickly, like that one at that church. I think it was in San Antonio or something. Right, right. So, me myself, I I understand the need for it. Yeah. You
0: know, and that's I don't know. I don't for for you, I don't know um how you how did you develop like this this idea of like uh, readiness or um you know, for me you know, I've always I've grown up around guns. It's uh, I've done martial arts since I was four years old. Um, I've been like sort of like an outdoorsman, survivalist type mindset since I was a teenager. And so I've always, you know, oh, I've always, yeah, I've always held this, yeah, always like made sure I have a backup plan and and uh, protection and food and all these things. Oh, that's my co-host, my dog. Um, but <laughs> uh, but you know that's what I think a lot, of, a lot of this stuff going on is why, you know, why it's really scary is because um, you know, when people can't get what they think um, are essential goods or food or, or whatever, um, shit's going to start getting real and people are going to start hurting other people in order to get basic resources and that's what's most scary to me about this situation.
1: Yeah, hopefully things will clear up I know for me, myself, growing up, I was born in Detroit, but you know I left there when I was two, and I spent the most in Texas. I just turned 43 a couple of days ago. And um, for the longest time, it was like a mental prison. It, it was fear. I was living in fear, you know, fear of just uh, really on both sides. Cause I've always been kind of, you know, smart or intelligent, you know? So I didn't really fit, you know, like in the hood, quote unquote, cause I did goofy things and of course I got out there and made mistakes and things too, but for the longest, it was, it was kind of like living like an endangered species. Um, I actually had a, a bit of a Facebook debate with a friend the other day. And, and he's of, of the mind that they should start using live MO, when, you know, when the looting starts, the shooting starts, <laughs> which is absolutely crazy. Um, and usually I just block people like that. But I took the time and I explained to them, like, first of all, that's the reason why there there is this unrest. They're saying, stop killing us, you know, so <laughs> killing more people is not gonna address that. And the other thing, I asked him, how would you feel if you were given enough, shown enough evidence to believe that you could be killed without any consequences, that someone can kill you and they won't go to jail and there won't be any justice? How would you handle that situation? When would you come to a conclusion of either I'm not going to go quietly or I'm going to take as many people with me as I can? Or are you just going to kneel and pray till somebody comes and blows your head off? You know, he never answered that question. But that's a real question that a lot of us have to ask ourselves. Because unfortunately, as sad as it is, there's a huge discrepancy there. And people can make assumptions about me without even talking to me. And it can just escalate from there. And the way I answered that question is I want to be as prepared as I can. So physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, I want to improve myself. I want to be able to handle as many situations that I can come up with. So, yeah, I want to strengthen my mind uh, by, you know, reading and all of that stuff. I want to have a strong body working out, doing jujitsu. And I also want to have... uh, Strong support system, you know I want to su- surround myself with the right people, and it, it took a while to it wasn't until I was in my thirties till I started that, and now, like half my life is over, I'm like on double time, you know what I mean? Everything is like an, at, at an accelerated rate. I really want to get stuff done before my time is up. you know what I mean
0: yeah, totally, you know some of the things you said really hit home for me, too, and I know they were experienced differently than you, Um, but this idea, one of them, you know, this idea of, like, if myself or a friend of mine or a family member of mine was killed um, and nothing, you know, there was no justice served, that would just wreck me for my entire life, you know. Um, I think being a Buddhist, you know, if my life was taken and there was no, you know, human justice dealt, I think I'd be more okay with that, because I believe in karma, um, and, uh, you know, that would be part of my karma, too, but still, you know, if it happened to somebody that I knew, and there was absolutely no justice, that would, that would completely wreck me. Um, another thing that you said, you know, growing up as, as the smart kid, and being sort of ostracized that way, even within your own community, um, I I feel like I felt that, too, um, I mostly hung out with like, you know, the skater crowd. Um, you know, I was, a, I sold drugs in high school. Um, but I also was a jock and, and played a bunch of sports and then I was like a straight A student, right? So I was, I was one of the, you know, top, top students in all the high schools that I went to. And that really, I always felt, you know, a little bit different, a little bit, um, on the outside because i couldn't quite connect with um i guess the level of consciousness that that others around me were engaging in so you know talking about you know you know bitch this and bitch that and um you know let's go vandalize this and and whatnot you know my mind always uh was sort of repelled by that but i wanted to engage in the activity or i wanted to be liked or i wanted to to hang out with these certain people so you know I sort of had to dumb myself down sometimes in order to fit in mm-hmm. and I never felt right I never felt right um so yeah I, I identify with you on those somewhat and that I think also like you said helped fuel my desire to want to be prepared right I needed to I was always in survival mode all the time even with, right. even with my friends because I, I, I didn't not
1: want to fit in anyway Yep. And it's really hard to go like all in on something that you really aren't feeling that you don't want to do. Yeah. So you
0: talked about assumptions, right? And people making assumptions of you. And uh, I've talked a little bit about this um, from my experience in the, you know, in the past on the podcast, uh, you know, people make assumptions of me based off of my tattoos or, you know, my my stocky nature or the way I wear my hat or whatever the some of the t-shirts I wear um and then if they get to know me they they get to know that I'm you know quite intellectual um you know uh, probably read more books than they have and you know I, I like I like shocking people um with what's underneath if they take the time to get past those initial assumptions so I'm wondering for you like what are some of those assumptions that you recognize that people make about you and um yeah just start there like what are some assumptions that that come up for you
1: uh mostly i would say uh i i come off as a a quiet person but you know once you get to know me i hardly shut up (laughs) yeah and i guess that is off-putting to people and and usually if if i See that there's really not a lot to somebody if they really don't have a lot to say, or don't have much to say, or I'm really short with them. You know, I cut the conversation off real quick. And I, I'm starting to learn to take responsibility for myself for how I treat these people because I don't know how they're raised. I don't know what they were taught. I believe in nurture versus nature, in, in most cases. So I'm, I'm trying to empathize more and, and be more open with um, just dealing with people. But that was another point I wanted to uh, circle back to about the, the social issue. I was just talking to my lady about this. Um, it's still, One of the scariest things she ever heard me say, one of the scariest things I ever said to her was I'm getting pulled over. <laughs> I was coming from the gym one day, we were talking on the phone um, talking about something to eat and things like that, and I saw the lights behind me, and it was like, oh shit! And you know, I told her that, and she was like, leave the phone on, put it on speaker. I'm recording. Tell me where you're at. And, and it was like, in the back of my mind, I was like, why do we have to go through all of this? But it's it's just the way of the world, and I have to adapt. And you know, when the guy talked to me, I was I was scared, you know. <laughs> I have my hands on the and he said, license and registration. It was in my armrest. And as soon as he said it, I started reaching, and I stopped immediately, and I put my hands back up. I say, it's, it's in my armrest. Hold on
0: a sec. Sounds like your co-host is getting in on the show, too. It's like the mail is going out for both of us right now. <laughs>
1: Sorry, I just got a random delivery from Amazon or whatever. I knew it. I knew it was the mailman. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's sad that that's the kind of world we live in, but I, I can't just shut down. You know, I just have to respond. So I told him uh, it's in my armrest and, you know, I just need to reach over it. I'm not, I don't want to make any fast movements. And he was like, oh, yeah, man, it's cool. We, we've taken training for this, it's okay. I don't know. It was it was just weird. I wanted to make sure I had uh, brought that up, and I forgot your other question. <laughs> Sorry.
0: No, I mean that's that's an important thing to bring up, and you know, your perspective is totally valid. You know, um, and I'm of the same mind that, however the world is, um, you have to adapt to survive. Um, period. Or else, you know, or else you're not going to survive. But at the same time, a part of me is like, well, Antoria, why should you have to adapt to this? Like, this should not even be a thing that, that you, you know, this should not even, should not worry. Um, it should not be such a, such an issue, you know, in our country that, you know, when you do get pulled over, you know, you're fearing for your life. That's, that's insane. You know, I don't, a part of me doesn't want to have to adapt to that. A part of me wants to uh know bigger part of me wants to wants to change that wants that to not be even be a thing but i'm so like you know as a a white male i'm so confused of like what what should i do what can i do to help um you know it's it's so confusing for someone like myself who you know and it's not my fault you know I've, i've been conditioned into um you know the role that I've played my entire life. People have told me, you know, that's my position or that's my place. And I'm doing my best to uh, unravel that and decolonize myself, you know? But still, I don't feel like it's enough. I feel like whatever I can do to help, um, I will do, um, but I don't know what to do, you know? And that's the problem for me.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually the problem for me too. (laughs) it's hard to find a cause that doesn't have bullshit in it you know yeah these other causes you know i want to get behind them and things but just some things i don't agree with but we have a common goal so I, i just want to work from that me myself all i can do is just try to be the best me i can if i see an injustice speak up and i think that's Really the thing most people need to do if they see something wrong if they know something is, is not right speak up you know tell the right people and if they ignore it tell the ones above them that's the only way because we it's not really a battle that's going to be won with guns and on the streets it's it's changing a mindset mm-hmm. it's like the Because I I, I try to empathize with people. And it's like, if my great-great-grandfather stole your great-great-grandfather's house and took his land and used it and like flipped it to make a huge profit to build more houses and and things, and I'm living life, I'm I'm living my best life, and you're not doing so well, and you come to me and you say, hey, your great-great-great-grandfather took my land and ruined my life. I mean, you, what can I do? I, I can't just give you what I have. You know, it's, it's, it's a dilemma. But at, at least I, I cannot be a dick about it. I can make rule, scoot over and, and make rule. Of course, you can't save everybody. Some people do just want to have everything handed to them. But there are some people who are willing to put in the work. And for those, yeah, we just got to be able to scoot over and, and just make rule. I think about that Chris Rock joke a lot, where he was like, um, "If a black guy and a white guy take a test, if if the white guy scores higher, he should get the job. If the black guy scores higher, he should get the job. But if they tie, fuck." <laughs> and I, I don't really totally agree with that, but I I get the logic. I mean, it's it's like a pendulum swing, and, and you kind of gotta keep it in the middle, without knocking everybody off. It, it, it can't be all white it can't be all black it has to be in the middle
0: yeah absolutely um, so i'm getting my phd right now in social work and uh, one of the major topics that, that we discussed in this last year of academia was uh, white oppression and um, and you know white oppression as a much larger construct right so United States as we know it right was built um, off of slavery and built um, based on a white oppressive system that we transplanted from Europe um, and it was developed for many hundreds of years before that white male oppressive and uh, it's continued um, it's gotten more covert definitely in some of our more modern age and a lot of the laws that sort of um, support white oppression um or practices that they're in line with that are still on the books and just haven't you know haven't been removed and and um and so this is like a big thing right like you said you know this pendulum swinging back and forth it can't be all white it can't be all black it can't be all hispanic can't be it can't be all one thing um we are are a, a multicultural um country you know and but a big part of it, a big chunk of it is, is identifying white oppression and then dismantling it to the greatest extent we can. And uh, we call that decolonization, right? So uh, stripping yeah. away the colonization that happened because of white people. And, you know, I I guess in my life, I try and be more and more conscious as much as possible of like, in, in whatever situation it is, like, how does my uh, skin Affect um, how people are treating me or what sort of preference I'm getting. Uh, if I see, like you said, like I think it goes back to individual responsibility too. And if I see injustice happening, and if I see uh, injustice happening where I'm being a benefactor of it, I need to stand up and, and say, like, this is not right. Um, so it does come down yeah. to an individual thing, but we're all working towards this collective goal of equity, right? Um, equal. Rights to freedom under the law, um, and in this modern age, I don't see why we're struggling so hard to do that. You know, um, I think we all want the same thing. You know, the the protesters want the same thing, the cops want the same thing. We all want like peace among all of us, um, and more than anything these days, I feel like it's the media that is spinning this into um, conflict or spinning it into race war, again, you know, maybe to be a
1: control mechanism. For sure, man. I wish that was illegal for news stations to, you know, that should be against the law. You know, they try to stand behind, you know, constitutional rights or whatever, but they're knowingly, knowingly spreading false information, which is clearly harmful to society. No, at least tell us something we could change.
0: Yeah, I, I read something the other day about like um, when like the New York Post or Washington, uh, New York Times or Washington Post, um, pu- you know, puts out an article, it'll get like millions of um, reads, right? And this will, you know, this can be misinformation or or fake news or whatever, and millions of people read it. Well, if they get caught, and this is if they get caught, and they do a redaction. Um, they'll put that out too and only like 50,000 people will read that so then there's still these millions of people out there who didn't read the redaction who are still believing the fake news and the news knows that they'll get those readers right with the clickbait so yeah like you said they're willingly and knowingly pumping out this fake false information uh, to control society to control like the social agenda and the minds of these people and it comes back down to you know preparation right and you said preparing your mind and part of that mind preparation is seeing through all the bullshit seeing through all the conditioning mechanisms all the propaganda all the all the bullshit out there and just getting down to you
1: know communication with real people yeah and that's that's the part that was uh that's why I have political aspirations you know because it's like this analogy, you have, if you've put a hundred people in a room, how many of them would actually stand up before the crowd and, and say something, you know, like maybe 20, mm-hmm. and out of that 20, how many would actually have something to say? And that's, I don't know, 10, 15. And out of that, how many know how to say it? And from there, how many are actually willing to do what they're saying? And that, that's the path I'm going along. You know, I, I want to be able to answer those questions and say me. You know, because I have a hard time trusting what other people say because a lot of people have their own agenda, unfortunately. Uh, but there are people out there who genuinely want to do the right thing, and we, you, and I, we got to seek these people out and, and connect with them. You know, we we got to be the change we want to see and empower those people as best as we can and. Like I said, uh, stamp out the the ignorance as much as best as we can. It's, it's a long battle. We may not see the end of it, but you know we can do our part, right?
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think everybody probably has um, motives, right? Even the even the best, uh, most well-intentioned people out there, they still have motives behind their actions. But I think it's it's like we need to make a choice of which motives we want to uh, promote and which motives we want to support and which ones we don't. Um, if yeah. the motive is to get into office so they can make a bunch of money and fuck a bunch of people over, then those morals don't sound to align with mine. But you know, if their agenda is to fix the environment and to clean up the ocean, um, then I can get behind that agenda. So you know, I don't think we can eliminate agendas altogether because the common goal is an agenda in and of itself, but we can certainly choose, like, which agendas we want to align with and which ones we don't. Um, so your interest in political office, um, I mean, that's that's a hard job, Ontario. Um, what, what do you okay. think about uh, the realities of what it's like to be a politician? And I look around at these politicians right now during COVID and during um, you know, the social issues going on right now, and I cannot imagine being in their position trying to make um, the decisions that they're being forced to make. So, I mean, that's a really hard job that you aspire for.
1: Yeah, it's, I've been thinking about it for years and still preparing for it. I'm years away from being ready, but I know it's going to be a lot of resistance, and my my family, my kids would probably see a of that and right now I'm just doing a lot of fortification with everyone you know I just want to get everyone prepared as much as possible before all of that starts but uh, ultimately I I just want to be the change I want to see you know I just want to do the best I can to implement the changes I think will make make a better world like my my craziest goal and I, I know it it probably won't fly well with a lot of people. But I think, I think people should have to have a license to have kids. You know, you have to have a license to drive, you have to have a license to fish, uh, pretty much anything else you got to have a license for. But to bring a human person in the world and to raise them however you want to raise them and when they turn 18 you just okay, watch your hands, just out into the world, you know, and they get Locked up in a prison or or whatever happens, I, I think that's a job that should be taken a lot more seriously than is being taken right now.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um, I also think that you're absolutely right. You're going to get a lot of pushback with with a, with a position <laughs> yeah. like that, but um, you know it makes sense in a lot of ways. And um, also, you know, uh, some licensure stuff is not. Um, I don't think is appropriate. I think I think licensing to have a kid, it would be ultimately a good thing, right? Because we would we could help prevent um overpopulation. Um, you know, it is a form of population control though, too. So it, it has good sides and bad sides. But on the licensure piece, um, just reading this thing uh the other day where uh they're trying to push through, let's see, it's uh, is HR five seven one seven trying to push this House bill through uh, in the fall? It will require licensure um, to own or operate a firearm or ammunition. It will raise, um, it'll add thirty percent tax to all guns, fifty percent tax on all ammo, making it way, um, uh, oh. making it worse, like harder, harder to get them. Um, and so. So I think in some cases, like licensure is a bad idea. Like I don't want to be on a list, um, people knowing, you know, what I have and, and where I can be found and, you know, having you know, a picture of me so that if they, you know, they can identify me in the crowd and they can take me out or something, you know, like that's, that's some bad shit. Um, but licensing for, uh it's weird, you know, I don't agree with licensure for guns <laughs> uh, or ammo, but I, I, you know, I, for the most part, I agree with um, you know having to at least go through some sort of uh, responsibility screening uh, tool to make sure that you're going to be a fit parent and you're not like bringing in your tenth kid into the world and you're on welfare and you can't you know you know, you know I feel for those people too, but you got to be responsible about this thing. Like, what do you what kind of life are you setting up your kids for? Uh, there's got to be some kind of screening uh, for that. And I think maybe, you know, there should be mental health uh, or or uh, certain mental health screenings or definitely background
1: checks to get uh, guns. But um, maybe that's as yeah. far as it goes. Yeah, I mean, it, you don't want everyone to be able to have a gun, you know. So I, I understand. Like I was saying, with the pendulum, you know, everything just you know, moderates everything in moderation. Hold
0: on one sec. Yeah, man. Another thing too, like, so I have my medical marijuana card. Um, and I do not want them to uh you know, they're they're trying to push these things like if you have ever had depression, you can't own a gun. If you have a medical marijuana card, you cannot have a gun You know, they're trying to push these things, like if you have any sort of mental mental health history, um, you shouldn't be able to have it. Well I as a therapist, I'm telling you, everybody has struggled with mental health at some point in their life. It's just part of living, right? It may not be documented. It may not be on the record, but everybody has. And you can't, like, cut off people who were depressed or had a substance abuse issue in the past from protecting themselves, you know?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, if you ask the right questions, you can turn somebody into, you know, make them fit into any box you want them to fit in. And, Yeah, I I think we all have a right to protection. I don't know why people would need like an AK, though. You know, I hadn't quite figured that out. I understand the need for like basic handguns. I I think we have like two or three ourselves, but like the AKs and bazookas. And I mean, what's to stop somebody from getting a tank there? There's got to be a limit there somewhere.
0: Yeah, definitely. And people do own tanks and bazookas. Um, Really? Oh, yeah, probably, like private, private, uh,
1: you know, wealthy individuals. Oh, man. I could imagine a tank rolling through these streets, man. <laughs> wow.
0: But imagine this too, right? Like, say there is martial law and, and uh, you know, and troops come in the streets and they're all, you know, decked out in their um, high-tech military equipment. Like, a, a handgun is not going to do too much. Even to, you know, they're all wearing body armor, you know? And I'm not saying like, um, I'm just saying like we need to be on level playing field with the possibility of, uh, you know, what sort of militaristic oppressive forces could come through. You know, God forbid we ever get invaded by anybody, but if anybody invaded our country, uh, they'd have a really tough time making it through (laughs) even a couple cities because there's people armed to the teeth for
1: a reason. It'd be a comedy. <laughs> It'd be a comedy if somebody tried to invade America right now.
0: It really would. You know, and I, I wonder if um, you know what is it going to take to bring everybody together on um, you know and get through this. You know, we've gone through this a, a number of times in our history, uh, civil rights movements, uh, a, num- a number of other movements and law changes, uh, Supreme Court cases, things like that, and. We still haven't reached that place um, of equity or of equality. So, part of me thinks that, you know, like 9 11, you know, we're gonna need something major to unite all of us under one banner, under the human race flag. Um, and I thought it was gonna be COVID, I thought it was gonna be, you know, the worldwide pandemic that was gonna suddenly unite us as a species. Um, but that's, that's not happening. Um, and unfortunately I think it's going to take some kind of like really bad natural disaster or something massive for the human race to like overcome our petty differences and, you know, get on board with one race.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. I, I feel like there'll always be some type of division, you know, even if it goes all the way back to men versus women, you know, there, for some reason, you know, Humans need competition, need something to compare and push up against to get stronger. And you know, hopefully we can just get the right people. I think it'll take something like an alien race or something to invade us, to draw us all together where we don't see color or gender or, or nothing else. But it, I feel like it'll always be something, you know, but we just gotta have a, a right, enough, of the, enough right-minded people to keep things under control.
0: Yeah, I do. I've been feeling the same exact way about the alien thing. Like, I think that's what it's going to take, you know, a whole nother race or species threatening our survival for us to get together and get past this. Um, I heard another theory the other day uh, from someone on a podcast saying, like... um, it might be that aliens aren't really revealing themselves to us yet because they're waiting for us to unite, right? Like (laughs) the aliens have already reached this place of higher consciousness and unity, and they have like an intergalactic federation and they're all together, but they're waiting to initiate us into that. And all we have to do is unite. And the moment we do, you know, this whole other universe and time travel and wormholes is going to open us, open up to us. I think it could be that way too, that, it's up to us to, to do it, you know.
1: Yeah, it's, I feel like if there are aliens out there they have seen us and they just kept going like to hell with this, these people are crazy.
0: Yeah. Yeah, sometimes I feel like. But the gal- Go ahead.
1: The, the galaxy, the universe is just too big for it just to be us, you know, there's one little speck of dust and this big old swirl of, you know, just everything i I think there are other beings out there but yeah i kind of don't want to meet them right now. i don't know how prepared we'd be
0: yeah yeah you know there's been some stuff coming out during covid where i guess the the white house released some confirmation that uh they were you know identified ufos um by military planes and um you know things like that like there's been de uh declassified documents that have come out and it's all under the radar um it's interesting because again you know what would happen if what do what do you think would happen to their power structure if they all of a sudden you know release that aliens are real you know imagine the the uh the outrage or the the fear then that would happen um you know we might we might not feel like we even need a government if that were to happen. So it's interesting, like all these all these things are coming out and um you know you're right. We, we are way too way too big of a, a thing, this universe to be alone in it. Um so part of me feels like you know the aliens are already here or maybe we're the aliens and we're just waiting to evolve.
1: Hey <laughs> that that's an idea too. Yeah. So with your political stuff, right?
0: You're, you're preparing your family right because you know when you go into the political sphere they're just gonna dig into your past and and look at old tweets and all sorts of stuff dig into your family um so i like that you're like uh, you're being responsible about it and you're you're preparing them in those ways but when you think of like the criticism that comes along with political office how ready do you think you are to to you know, stick up for what you want uh, and what you think is right, but uh, I mean, inevitably, there's going to be um, people who, who stand up and oppose you or who criticize you or who, you know, call you names or whatever, like uh, how prepared do you think you are to deal with that kind of stuff?
1: <laughs> yeah, I like they're saying, you know, I hate is going to hate. <laughs> well, yeah. They definitely will, will be around. I've uh, doubled in a, a little so far, like and back in Texas, I was in the uh, HOA and that was uh, like a crash course in dealing with people that don't or won't agree with you no matter what you say. And back then I would lash out, I'd embarrass them and things like that. I forgot what book I was reading, but it said, you'll never change somebody's mind by calling them an idiot. Or making them feel like an idiot, and uh, since then I've just been trying to use empathy more. And there, there will be some people, no matter what I say, what I do, they'll, they'll dislike me. I could want to buy ice cream for the neighborhood, and somebody would say, "Oh, I'm lactose intolerant," you know, or "Why don't you have other flavors?" And for those people, like all I can do is just try not to lash out and just keep doing the best work I can. Try to address reasonable people and not engage people who just wanna make me get in the mud with them.
0: Yeah, it's like picking your battles every day, but extending it out even more and like picking the conversations that you choose to engage in, right? Like surrounding yourself with those people who are who are positive people, as opposed to engaging with with people who
1: are, just out looking for a fight. Yeah, they're out there. And that, that's another reason why I took jiu-jitsu. So I could be prepared for things like that. Because if you don't know what you're doing, if you don't know how to fight or never really been in one, you, you're gonna be scared and you're probably gonna lash out and do the wrong thing every time. But once you've trained yourself, you, you can be calm in confrontational situations. And usually people will pick up on that energy and and not try to test it. But in case someone does try to cross that line, it, at least we're prepared.
0: Yeah, for sure. Like since I started jujitsu, I don't know, 14 years ago, um, I've never felt, um, I've never felt anywhere down a dark alley, you know, uh, you know, in a, in a one-on-one situation, I've never felt like um i couldn't get myself out of the situation you know um the skill sets and the, the mental skill set the mental toolbox that comes with jiu like prepares you for life in so many ways including you know having that confidence and and it's not a false confidence like you can legitimately you know get yourself out of a terrible situation with an opponent much bigger than you um and so you have like this This it's like a it's like an added knowledge. Like you already know the outcome. You already know it's gonna come out with you on top. Um and so you can remain calm. But you know, the more I get into martial arts, the more I do it. Um, you know, I'm getting closer and closer to a black belt. And Mm. you know, the more I the further I go, the less I like fighting. Like I hate fighting. Like I want to avoid conflict at any. Any time that I can uh, because I know what's possible, you know I know what sort of damage can be done to a human body because i' I've, I've trained in it I know <laughs> I know what I could do um, and so I avoid it at all costs. I will talk my way out of any fight um, you know, and it's definitely not because I'm afraid uh, if anything I'm afraid of of ruining this person's life um, yeah. And so, for them. Right. And so I think I think that would be a benefit for a lot of people is if they had a discipline, if they got into some kind of a Martial art or something where they experienced physical challenge like that, where you're you're training to protect your life. Um, I think there would be a lot less violence out there just because I think a lot more people would have respect for uh, the potential for real damage.
1: Yeah, because they they see videos, they watch movies, and they think everything is you know just gonna look so cool, and they're gonna be YouTube famous. But it it's not really like that in the real world. No, not at all. Um, but uh, another thing I was gonna say about Jujitsu—that's uh, one of the beauties. Like, if we did get into a conform- confrontation with somebody, we know how to restrain them and hold them down, and you know let them calm down and figure out that they're stuck versus somebody who's like a boxer or a striker, all they can do is knock somebody out and risk you know, letting them hit their head and dying from that or something. Uh, so that, that's one of the major benefits of jiu-jitsu. And that's something I think should be mandated, especially for a law officer. They, they should be forced to train because essentially they're the military. Right? They should have that type of training and discipline.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: I think it was uh,
0: Anthony Yang who was running for president, and he said that uh, he thought that all officers should at least be a purple belt in jiu-jitsu, and I thought that was a brilliant idea, not only because it would give them the discernment uh, and the respect for, um, you know, physicality, but also it would help train the mind, and we would have a much uh, fitter police force for sure. You know, if if everyone trained jujitsu, there would not be you know, those cops out there that are, you know, 300, 400 pounds sitting behind a desk because they'd have to be training.
1: I know that's, yeah, I mean, God bless them because, you know, they, they're putting their self on the line for a dangerous job and stuff. But I mean, my goodness, who can they protect, chase down and stuff? If anything, they're just going to shoot whomever they're dealing with.
0: Yeah, I think you're right you know, the less reliant you can be on your own body and and your physical skill, the more reliant I think you're going to be on a firearm to protect you.
1: Yeah, and that kind of leads to the predicament that we're in right now, you know, just not knowing how to handle the situation. So tell me about your
0: jiu-jitsu upbringing. I don't think I've ever asked you this on the mat. Um, I know that you trained in Austin, but uh, I'd love to hear your story of like how you, how you even got into it, um, what your progression looked like, you know, what philosophy and life lessons you learned from jiu-jitsu. Let's see,
1: I've been training, I think eight years now. I, I think. I'd have to check my journal and see. But initially, I, I think I was like 32, still fairly young enough. I wanted to fight in a cage. So I knew I needed to get some type of training. Um, you can, of course, I saw Hoyce Gracie and, and what he did and was blown away. And, um, so I started out with Krav Maga and of course that, that didn't last long. And, tried out sambo and then once i moved i got into jiu-jitsu with the guy uh, in the leander area john ram's here a good friend of mine and he was a a purple belt at the time and i was scouting out gyms and i just i liked how how candid he was and up front he told me he was getting black belt coming in soon and uh, given a free seminar, and so I went to that, and there was uh, Rodrigo Cabral, who who it was, and uh, just from there I was just hooked ever since. And um, of course, there's the physical aspects, but I'd say my greatest obstacle was just the the humility part, just the humbling, just shutting up and, and listening without just, oh, I, I feel like it should go this way or it should go that way. Just that discipline, I think, was the greatest takeaway because I was able to use that in pretty much every other aspect of my life to just up and, and listen, hear people out and, and try it, you know, because there, there are other people who've been doing things wrong than me. I mean, like, on the mat, I... Killers, you know, in every gym there are killers, like 15, 16 year old guys, and they've been training since they were four and we would wipe them out. And I really had to let my ego go to enjoy myself when when training, getting my butt kicked every day. You know, sometimes you're the hammer, sometimes you're the nail. But that was the that's the thing that got me hooked the most. I mean, on the mat, there's really nothing. The geek color at the most. I mean belt color at the most probably matters. But outside of that, it don't matter, you know, your culture, your skin color, what you do for a living. Are you ready to train and be respectful of your partners? That's, you know, and work hard. That's the main thing. And if that's a yes, I I can train with anybody in anywhere. And that's what I learned from Jiu Jitsu. As long as those fundamental things are in place, I can pretty much work with anybody on anything. That, that's the greatest gift that jiu
0: gave me yeah i love that um jiu really does tear down a lot of those walls right um oh my could, god <laughs> i mean any given day at z's you could be training with you know multiple ethnicities different genders different sexual orientations uh whatever different styles of martial arts Nobody cares, like we're all ripping on each other, we're all um laughing and, and inviting each other out to dinner, and it becomes um you know a very multicultural family, and I love that about it um you know, I also love the humility piece that you talked about, and man, do you become humble quick as a white belt um and and the more yeah you know getting tapped out a hundred times in an hour uh, is humbling for sure. And then the more you keep going, the more persistent you are, the more uh, open you are, right? Like, shutting your mouth and listening to the people with higher belts and how they do it, like, they've already failed more times than you've ever tried, bro. Like, listen listen to what they have to say. Um, yeah. the, the higher up in the belt that you get, the more humble you get, but along with that humility comes, like, this, um, like I said, like, this confidence, but also this toolkit. Uh, this toolkit of, of, you know, really murder moves, <laughs> uh, moves that are going to, yeah. you know, incapacitate someone if, if necessary, but are designed to control uh, with the least amount of force possible.
1: Yeah, you, you have a, a choice. I mean, it's one of the few arts where you can literally break every joint in somebody's body. Yeah. like sure. Arm locks, shoulder locks, knee locks, ankle locks. It's- it's all there, and, and after a while, it's not and even bone learning how to do it. Yeah. I'm sorry.
0: What do you say? I said, and there's chokes and bone breaks too.
1: Oh yeah, man. This it is like Disneyland almost. It, whatever you want to do, if somebody chooses to go into that arena with you, it's like it's almost kind of fun to think about, but it's scary too because I I don't want to go there. You know? Yeah. But on the mat, it's training is it's all fun like i I love training with you guys and, and just getting that sweat in and getting my butt kicked and you know everybody's just everybody's cool you know it's not any and in, in politics i mean some I know people try to add that in or whatever, but usually it's, it's shut down pretty quick i i just I love how it's just it's, you know no drama it's just you just Oh, that that was a point I wanted to bring up, like, uh, Rodrigo, uh, that he's pretty, I'd say, 90% of what I've learned came from Rodrigo. You know, he's from white belt to to purple. I mean, there have been times where I stepped away for different reasons or whatever, but he's always, like, been my my main influence. And, like, when I was a white belt, one of the um, things I noticed about him, sometimes he would just kind of like halfway roll. I mean, he would let everybody tap him out, white belts and, and everything. I mean, as long as they were safe and stuff like that. And I asked him what, I was like, why do you do that? Because I know he, he can smash everybody in there twice over if he wanted to, and he said to, to remain humble, because it's easy to, to get arrogant and overconfident when you can do things like that. So he said just to keep himself humble, he allows himself to get tapped out and I was like wow that was you know just mind blown and I, I've always remembered that 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 sticks with me so i like when I roll I don't really care about a tap you know I care about learning you know calibrating my own moves and different dealing with different body types and things like that it's not a the, the victory is being better than I was yesterday not making somebody else tap
0: yeah absolutely like when you're on the mat. I mean, as a white belt, I definitely felt like I was in or I it was a self imposed competition with everybody else on the mat. I had to outwork you, I had to uh breathe you, I had to uh roll outroll you, even if you were gonna tap me. And now a lot of that is gone. You know, now like you said, I go in there um and I, I wanna learn, you know, I I'm I'm just uh, scratching the surface of the, the infinity that is and it's so exciting, you know, 14 years deep into it, and I feel like uh, I've just wow. – that I've maybe learned, you know, one one-hundredth of, of the information that's currently available, and new moves are being made up every single day. It's, it, you know, it's ever-expanding. Um, Antoria, I had no idea your upbringing included Krav and Sambo, That's like almost word for word how I um, started my journey, you know, to Jujitsu. I mean, I had a bunch of martial arts coming up um, when I was a kid, taekwondo, karate, wrestling, things like that, but uh, martial arts fell off for me at the end of high school when I got into drugs real deep, and I didn't Mm rediscover it until I went to college and got back into Krav Maga and became an instructor there. And that led me to a sambo, uh, uh, sambo black belt, and um, you know, he taught me how to fight. Oh, wow. And then, um, you know, I started cross training jiu-jitsu with my sambo uh, to get a stronger ground game. And um, and then, you know, as I got a little older, and you know, I don't like my joints to be hurting every day. I don't like to wake up with post-concussive syndrome as much as I used to. I've uh, stepped away from striking a lot. Uh I still do it, but not as much and and now it's almost purely jujitsu. And I tell you what, like since I made that switch and just like embraced the jiu-jitsu lifestyle, um it's almost like the stereotypical like like beach bum surfer type lifestyle in my in my mind. Like it's super laid back and chill and just like Uh, In touch with yourself and in touch with nature, and almost like you know hippie esque, and I'm loving it. I'm really loving um, the lifestyle that comes along with uh, jujitsu. It's not just a sport or a practice that I'm practicing when I'm on the mat, but it's it's something that I practice in every moment of every day of my life. You know. What about
1: your jujitsu journey too? Because I noticed. I, I want to say our styles are similar, but you're better than me here. Like, you have a like athletic style, though, which is something I'm kind of familiar with. I don't have the, the cardio or anything like that to go with it. But like, where did, where did you start? Like, My branch was more like the, the Czech Mat Alliance branch. Uh,
0: you mean what branch was Sambo?
1: No, not Sambo. I was asking about you. Just, sorry, I oh. just skipped right over Sambo. Uh, Sure. Yeah, I started. That, that
0: was. I started at a Gracie school in Boulder, Colorado. Um, it was a Easton Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu school, and there, right now, I think they they have the most number of schools in Colorado. They're huge. You know, hundreds of people um, go through Easton. Uh, if you go to the tournament, that's almost all you see. But um, when I moved away from Boulder. Um, I trained a little bit down at high altitude, which is Nate Marcourt's gym. Nate Marquardt from the UFC and King of Bank Race. Trained down there a little bit um, and didn't live down there for too long. Um, so I moved back up to the Fort Collins area and my Sambo coach from back in the day, who was also my MMA coach, uh, Michael Sullivan. He's been on the podcast a couple times. Uh, still down in Broomfield at Fusebox uh, MMA piece sambo and uh he recommended i go to z's he said uh you know i said i need a gym up here what do you recommend and he said this is sort of like our sister gym they have uh similar values and ideals as us and you'll get along just great and from the moment i walked into z's um he was nothing but welcoming and uh, you know i've been there ever since
1: yeah yeah that, the gym is awesome i love the culture there. That- um, but, yeah, going back to the sambo, I did that for maybe a year, something like that. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was awesome. Uh, my coach was uh, Grant Gillen. He, he and his wife, they uh, ran it together. It was kind of like an MMA gym. It was mostly like combat sambo. And, yeah, that's some hardcore stuff, with the leg locks and stuff like that. It's just <laughs> – it's hardcore
0: that's where I got most of my leg lock game as well as, um, you know, my pressure point game. Um, and you know, man, it was, it was awesome. Sambo is, is an intense freaking sport, man. And I'm so grateful to have had at least a few years of training, uh, under Sully. So, um, you know, Sambo kind of ingrains like a a different kind of mindset in you too. You know, it's, it's Russian based. So, You know, we all know the stereotypes about Russian mindset, you know, hard, stoic people. Um, Yeah, that's really that came through, at least in my Sambo training that, uh, you know, we we trained ourselves for war, literally. um, And, uh, you know, and prayed that we didn't ever have to use it. But it was a hard mindset. It was a grinding type mindset. And I still carry that uh, a bit with me today.
1: Yeah, it's uh, I remember the the takedowns and stuff like that. It was, it was tough, man. It, it definitely like the we had like throw matches and things like that, but it was still, you know, we we definitely protected each other. That, that's something you, um, of course, as a teammate, want to do. But yeah, I remember those ankle locks. Some of them I, I still use too, and I have noticed that you do play with, with the legs a lot. Always try to try to watch that. Oh My god, how long have you been training with Z? Because you're almost like it's clone
0: <laughs> in a lot of ways, yeah. My style, you know, Z's a, a pressure um, Jiu so he, I mean, he uses he's a giant gorilla of a man and he uses pressure in a way that um, I've never experienced by anybody else, you know, and that comes from his wrestling background, um, and so. You know, inevitably, by training underneath him, um, my wrestling has gotten way better since, uh, you know, the wrestling days in high school. And I've incorporated a lot of pressure into my own style. Now, what I think is important um, for everybody learning Jiu Jitsu out there is that that's going to, you know, understand that that's going to happen. You're going to take on traits of your professor. But also it's it's important once you start getting up into the higher belts that you start exploring outside of um what what he's taught you, right? So I think one of I think every professor um wants their students to be better at jujitsu than they ever were. You know, that's what a good instructor would want for you. And so yeah. and so Z wants to impart all of his knowledge onto me. Um, which I take very gratefully but he also encourages me uh to explore my own style and so I'll do a lot of things that he doesn't do like I love inverted guards um I love like you said leg locks um the whole lower body is like my jam I'll do yeah. uh, calf crushes bicep crushes uh you know all sorts of fancy ninja moves with the with the lapel um and those are little additions that I like uh, from other people's styles that I try and incorporate on top of that foundation that Z gave me. And um, I'm so grateful for Z because his style, that pressure style is, is one of the best foundations that, that I've come across. I think that and like uh, a rubber guard foundation would, would be my top choices if I could choose. Um, but the pressure is so useful and it, it just helps amplify every other style that I'm attempting to do, you know?
1: Yeah. Now, what I meant by when I say the clone, I mean, just, just so strong. Because, like, Lee's probably the strongest dude I've ever rolled with so far. And it was, it was, like, crazy just how strong he was. And then rolling with you, like, I don't know what I was. I think it was, like, a sweep or something I was going for. And you just would not move. I was like, my God, what is this? <laughs> and I I think it like I was trying to hold you in side control and I, I just couldn't hold you down. Just that that's what I was talking about. Just like crazy strong. It, it forces me to get over it, you know, like I I just cannot do this move. I have to be like water and go to something else. Or you know, be ready to get swept or, you know, just move on to, to another move. And I've been learning a lot of that. Just a, a lot of the, the guys and, and uh, when I was there, they just won't give up. It's like trying to have a debate and they're just saying, no, 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 no. And I'm like, the technique is right. You have to go. And it's like, no, fuck you, go. I still have energy. And yeah, man, that's, that's the hardest pill to swallow right now. That's what I'm still trying to get used to, just keeping up and keeping the cardio going yeah for sure you just gotta keep moving.
0: Um, it's funny you you say that um, one of my characteristics is my strength because I don't really think of myself as being strong for my size. Um, I tell my wife that all the time, like, and it's probably just distorted self image for sure, but I mean, look who I'm competing against all the time, right Z, who's this massive guy who's twice as strong as me, of course, I don't feel you know I feel puny next to him and so when he's my, um, my strength comparison, you know, of course I would, you know, I'm not, I'm not a strong guy, but I guess, you know, compared to most other people, and my wife says this all the time, she's like, most people your size or your age, like they've got the dad bod going on, like they haven't worked out, you can like outlift anybody your size and outlast them, and I'm just like, yeah, whatever, you know, I blow it off, but um, it's, it's interesting to hear that from you too, and Uh, recognizing that, that strength is one of my strong suits, you know, no pun intended, but um, I try and rely, I try and rely less and less on it when I'm rolling. Uh, I definitely have to use it with bigger people, but uh, especially with smaller guys, um, you know, most of the people in the gym are smaller than me, so I try and let the strength uh, go, you know, unless I get into an emergency situation. Um, But uh, I try not to rely on it, and that boosts my jiu-jitsu game so fast. Um, I wish I would have learned that sooner.
1: Oh, for sure. That's, like, one of the first lessons I tell anybody. Uh, Just forget about your strengths. Any athletic gift you have, forget about it. You know, whoever you go against, be the weakest, be the slowest, and learn to rely on technique and anticipation. Because eventually you're going to get tired. And two weeks to do whatever you want to do. So, you, you, that's what you're going to have to rely on this proper technique.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. And I do, th- you know, I think we have, um, I think you moved to the right place, you know, and came to the right gym. I know you had your choice of many other gyms in town, but I think you came to the right one because I tell you what, like Z has so much knowledge in that brain, you know, and uh, it's just, he still teaches me new stuff all the time. I've been training with him for
1: close to seven years, I think. <laughs> oh, I see. So you're about to be a black belt then, huh? Yeah, I got uh, two stripes
0: on my brown. But um, I'm trying to really take, you know, take whatever time is necessary at this belt. I know that this is a really important one to um, really solidify the style that I've been working on. Uh, whereas at like Purple Belt, I was, I was exploring. That was, that was like the exploratory uh, belt where you get to try out all sorts of fun things. And uh, Brown Belt's where you start to slow down your own game and start to integrate movements that really are high percentage for you and really solidifying what your game is. Um, and then at Black Belt, you start all over again, man. And then it's a whole new world. You become a, a small fish in a shark tank of black belts so, <laughs> I'm, i mean i'm looking forward to it but i'm also thoroughly enjoying where i'm at right now i'm really enjoying coaching um everybody at z's uh when i can and um yeah man it's all about the journey too you know it's what is uh, one, sure. one of the one of the Gracies said uh the belt only protects two inches of you you know you have to protect the rest mm-hmm. of you
1: yeah, and that's the mindset I'm on too. I used to be in a rush to, you know, go to be a black belt, but not at all. Because that's once you're a black belt, you're a black belt. You know, you, you get the stripes, the degrees or whatever, and if you're lucky to live long enough to quarrel or whatever the case. But this is kind of like the fun part here. You can still like make mistakes and it's not so bad as 'cause you're a lower belt. But like you said get to that that level it's, it's a whole nother ball of wax you know So uh, i'm not in a rush but I, I definitely want to be around to to see you get your belt for sure uh, and it's going to be an awesome ceremony yeah i'm sure i'll get whipped quite a bit
0: um um oh. so, <laughs> yeah. so i wanted to um to this is like a sort of a out of out of left field question, but we were talking about um, police having jujitsu training and this thought just crossed my mind um, that I thought before, but uh, just popped in again. Um, what if politicians had to have uh, military or not military, martial arts training um, and that's how they uh, resolve disputes?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that would be awesome. I'd love yeah. that.
0: It'd be funny, um, but I think, you know, we'd have a couple people dominating at the top. Hopefully they'd be ethical, moral people. But I just imagine like um, Donald Trump and and Vladimir Putin getting in a fight. And Putin is, you know, he's a judo black belt. And man, he would would slam Trump through to China and then they'd have their way with him.
1: (laughs) Yeah, the scary guy on a lot of levels. just for our sake as a I wouldn't want to see that because they're already laughing us at us enough as it is. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So put them on the mat in the cage. I'm sorry. Go ahead.
0: Yeah, no. So, so with you and your and your jiu-jitsu background and like um, all the you know mental, physical, emotional, spiritual benefits that have come from jujitsu, um, how does that like? How does that bleed into your everyday life? And how do you think that that would affect how you are as, as a future politician?
1: Mostly, uh, to me, empathy is the best teacher. Most of the times, if you put somebody in a situation, they'll understand it. And jujitsu puts you in a lot of different situations that can be scary. And you, you learn to build that, that mental resilience that it's not over, I I can keep going, I can get back up. I can tap and it's not okay. I mean, I can tap and it's not the end of the world, it's okay, we can start over again. And you know, that helps a lot because like we were talking about humility, so many times I I would roll with somebody and be like, how did you do that? You know, or why couldn't I do this, you know? And that's a tough pill to swallow, just asking somebody for help. And then, you know, just first you got to come to terms with the fact that you're wrong, you know, that. And once you can swallow that pill, then you can go on to, to being right, being in the, the right direction. And I think jujitsu teaches you a lot to, to swallow that pill, because a lot of times you're going to be wrong. You can be so confident about something and feel so strong about it and get caught right into a trap and you either going to go to sleep or or get an arm broke or something or or tap and swallow that truth pill you know you have some developing to do um and i believe not just with cops i think it should be in schools too like if if i get it if i am able to make that happen it will be in the of sport, just like football, wrestling, or anything else. It's that important, to um, because that that confidence is everything. You know, just like like you were saying, I had no idea that that's, that's not your strength is not something that you really like relied on or, or reveled in. And me myself, maybe I I have physical attributes that that I ignore or something. I I don't. Think I have anything in particular, but uh, I'm sure other people would. And it's just a matter of you got to know who you are, you know. And and once you get that straight, once that internal person is good, then you can interact with other people. Cops are on the front line, so you know I would say it's more urgent to address law enforcement right now because they deal with so many people and they have so much power and all this other. So they need to learn it first. But I think ultimately it would do wonders in schools, too, as far as bullying and, you know, all of the things that have been going on in there.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's interesting you talk about um police training, things like that. I was just talking to uh, the director of... Um, Training for the Denver Police Department yesterday, uh, in a different context. Right, right now, I'm on the um, Denver Psilocybin Policy Review Panel, and uh, we're reaching out to law enforcement. We're going to provide them, uh, as well as first responders, uh, we're going to provide harm reduction training around like how to deal with people on psychedelics, so that we don't traumatize more people and we can, um, you know, more more effectively deal with them. So it's interesting uh, because. You know, as we talk to him, you know he's just telling us about how how long this last weekend has been for him, sleepless nights, you know, lots of worry, lots of sadness of what's going on. Media just blowing him up um, on his phone and um, you know he's a you know he's a great guy. Uh, we hit it off right away, and you know there are really good people in there trying to do really good things, and it's sad for them too to see this stuff go on and I'm sure there's going to be a lot of changes to police training. There should be, um, by the way, if you do get in, when you get in political office, come hit me up because, uh, in my, uh, sports psychology master's program, I had to design a, a school curriculum for jujitsu, um, in, in order to like implement it into a school system. Uh, so I already have a plan for that. So <laughs> if you want to, uh, okay. get it, if you want to get it into schools, come to me and and we'll spark up some ideas i think that would be amazing you know um things like judo things like jujitsu um you know they're olympic sports or, or jujitsu will be soon and you know there's no reason why those can't be trained alongside wrestling in a wrestling room um, i think that's a fantastic idea for uh, youth development
1: me too and my only concern, well, it's not really a concern, it's almost inevitable. Uh, I noticed that like when things come to the United States, we, we kind of like take it over and we bastardize it. You know, we throw away a lot of things like boxing and, and wrestling. Some people don't consider that a martial art, but it's absolutely a martial art. It's just because you don't bow and have this and that. and. But there's a concern, that I know, like with some people I talk to, there's a concern that that will happen to jiu but it's it's kind of inevitable to me. What, what do you think?
0: Uh, inevitable that it will kind of bastardize jujitsu.
1: Yeah, it'll kind of get watered down in a way. I mean, there'll still be like a pure form of it if you look in the right places. But, you know, like McDojos and things like that, I think that will like get spread out and... Of course, it's not going to be Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu no more. It'll be just Jiu-Jitsu, you know, things like that.
0: Um, Well, I definitely think there's the possibility. And, you know, I think they already exist. There's some McDojos out there with, you know, American Jiu-Jitsu or something like that. Um, There's that potential. But I've been in a lot of different martial arts, uh, a lot of martial arts that sort of Embody that uh, McDojo, karate, and taekwondo. Some gyms definitely are are really shitty gyms, but in my experience, um, more jujitsu instructors and gyms realize you know what it takes to get a black belt. You know, 10 years solid training at least. Um, they they respect you know the time and effort, and so they're really quick to call out fake black belts and to and to get those kind of schools shut down or Um, So I I think that the jiu-jitsu community will largely prevent um, that intense kind of bastardization, but sure, there's going to be lost traditions, things like that. Um, What I do like, uh, what I do see out there is that, um, you know, jiu-jitsu is an ever-growing sport, right? So it started out in Japan and came to Brazil, and now it's in America and all over the world, and we have our own style of jiu-jitsu for sure. Um, but the innovation that I've seen, uh, even since it's come to America, I mean, you look at like places like 10th planet and Eddie Bravo and his rubber guard system. Like that's, that's an American style of jujitsu and it's phenomenal, right? Uh, Gordon Ryan, all these people who are coming up and just inventing new shit and taking it to a whole new level. Like, yeah, we, we lose a little bit of tradition, but the sport and the knowledge and the, you know, the arsenal grows um, and these are real moves, you know, people aren't inserting like fake jiu-jitsu moves. And if they are, you know, they're discredited relatively quickly. So I think in the long run, um, the jiu-jitsu community is is strong enough to um, to avoid, you know, the old school McDojo. But if it did go into schools, you know, we would, you know, it'd just be like another gym. You gotta, you gotta call out those schools that are teaching bullshit to, to our youth.
1: Right. gonna, it's an exciting time. I, I think it'll go over well once we get to that point. But like I said, right now, I would say law enforcement is the main thing. I, that should be like mandated to have uh, real training. Uh, once I get to a, a certain level, I, I'll train them for free. You know, I've already talked to a, a couple of police officers about it just to um, see what that process would be. Because ultimately, that's that will help overall. You know, it's not about money. It's about making a better world, or at least a better society. I mean, that is just, I might be wrong, but that's what I think. I think it would go a long way. It might not fix everything, but it would definitely help more than hurt. Yeah,
0: I think you're right. I definitely think you're right. Um, so just, you know, kind of switch topics a little bit, a little bit, uh, you know, this this is also relevant recent, but, you know, it seems like um, we were all on lockdown for the last couple months, right, because of COVID. And uh, yeah. since this last weekend, I hear very little about COVID. Um, and that just really interests me that we go from this worldwide pandemic where everybody's afraid of literal, you know, wiping out of the human species, that kind of fear. Um, all of a sudden, it's not even in the news. Nobody's talking about it. It's, uh, it's all about, you know, um, protests. And, you know, I'm, I'm all for the protests. I'm not for, um, you know, the destruction, but I'm for the protests and the cause. Uh, but what about, you know, what about other things that, um, you know, sort of are, it's it's interesting. We just see this news cycle, even with these super major catastrophic events, it, people just forget about it. And I'm really afraid that people are going to forget what we just went through with COVID um, and go back to, you know, normal way of life or, or what was normal before and destroying the planet.
1: Yeah, that, man, I'm just ready for it to be over. I mean, just the whole thing. When I saw that it was like 98% recovery rate or or something like that, I just kind of tuned out after that. I've been enjoying the Cuomo interviews and things, but other than that, it does seem like it's a game. And now it's like, okay, now let's talk about Hornets or whatever is next. And I I don't know if it's every, like when it's election year or something, but it, it does seem to be some type of trend or some type of pattern.
0: Yeah, It's all fear, right? Fear, fear, fear. They're like giving everyone an IV drip of fear as long as they're hooked up to the machine. And uh, I've I've unplugged myself from the machine um, mostly. You know, I hardly watch the news. Um, You know, most of the news I get is from friends who watch the news and I'm just, you know, I see all the anxiety that the news brings them. I just don't want any part of it. And I make a choice not to, you know, not to support you know,
1: not to support that kind of stuff, I guess. Yeah, man. It's enough to make you not want to go outside. Make you not want to get out of bed. You know, it's just like every angle, there's just something. And that's what I was talking about earlier, about just fortifying and focusing on the things that I, I can adapt to. But this this COVID thing, like wearing masks and stuff, my daughter, she was like, I don't want you to come down here. And I'm like, wow, I get it because that's, you know, everything that's going on. Goodness, I'm more worried about if the economy is going to be able to bounce back, you know, because you hear about people losing jobs and businesses closing. Yeah, it's like we're not even in the real storm yet
0: yeah I agree. I don't think we've seen the worst of it um this is interesting right so i you're you're talking about people losing businesses um and I think that's gonna be one of the biggest you know things that we have to recover from is this huge unemployment rate uh people getting evicted things like that but i I read an article this morning saying that um some of the places that were burned down, some of the businesses that were burned down in certain cities were um like the business owner wasn't able to keep it because of COVID. Um, and then that shop was targeted to burn down uh, to collect insurance oh, wow. money or something like that. So um, there's all sorts of things going on. And, and like I said before, you know, people will find a way to take advantage of, of this crisis in any way possible. I'm not saying that that's you know, the majority of people by any means. I think most people just want to help. Uh, I certainly do. But you know, it's 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 interesting. You got to be wary because there are people out there, like you said, who have different agendas and they want to get theirs um, before you know before there's no opportunity to.
1: Yeah, it's like that saying, uh, you know, a man a lot to you to get what he wants and then tell you the truth when he's done. And you know, that's just like with these. Politics and stuff, they, they talk, they sound real good, you know, but if you look at the track record and, and things, it's, it's like, it's, it's not consistent, consistent. And then it's like, oh, but this time it's going to be different. It's like, oh, my goodness. Yeah.
0: So from your, your position, um, you know, looking forward to politics, like what sort of office are you, are you looking
1: towards? i uh, still trying to figure things out right now. We'd we'll like to, you know, be in legislat- legislation, work with the law. So maybe Congress or the Senate, somewhere around there. I don't want to be like a governor or anything like that, because that's just, it that seems like there's more of a, a figurehead. You, you really can't push your own agenda in those situations. You kind of got to go with what, what the majority says. And that, so I don't want to, you know, get too crazy with it. But I do want to at least be in a position where I can introduce someone and give my side on why I think that would be good.
0: Yeah, nice. Um, What do you think about the, I mean, some people are saying that this current system of politics that we have is outdated, that we shouldn't have a president, uh, should be more parliamentary, um, like more um, evolved political systems in Europe. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think like we need like a huge, uh, reform of, of what our democracy looks like? Take this one power, uh, figure out of the picture and sort of distribute power among uh, many
1: people? Like, what do you think? I think that would, that would take a revolution to happen, but I, I agree. I mean, this country's way too big to be represented just by two parties and, The other ones are just minimized and and muted out. But to implement that type of change where we had like a a parliament or something, it'd be nice. I don't think that would would happen not without a lot of bloodshed.
0: Yeah, I agree. I think so, too. Um, You know, I'm a big supporter of the Constitution and Bill of Rights. But I also feel like some of them, some of the parts are outdated. uh, Other parts still hold up. but we we're not the same country we were when it was formed you know and we need to recognize really? we need to accept that we're we're different we're more um you know we're more inclusive than we used to be even though you know it's still not at a level where we want it to be we're way more inclusive than it was we're different and we need to uh sort of step up to the plate step into our role as as this you know we can be leaders in this global shift i think if if we stand together unfortunately I I hope it doesn't have to come to a lot of bloodshed for that to happen but that's what people are saying you know that's what that's what people who are rioting are saying that this is the only way to be heard is is uh to cause violence Uh, I say you know vote with your dollar um don't support you know businesses that that are oppressive or that you don't agree with their morals um you know I, I think, I always think there's a peaceful way to do it, um, even if it is a slower process, you know? Yeah. It's like yeah. Jiu-Jitsu, it's like uh, jiu-jitsu. There's, always, there's always a better technique, you know, you just got to find the right technique to overcome like this barrage of strength uh, coming at you because strength is not going to win all the time. You can't rely on it. You can't rely on force, You can't rely on coercing people or, or or social manipulation, there's a more peaceful way that probably takes less effort and will let burn us out less than, than what
1: we're doing right now. Yeah, I feel like it's, we just gotta have the right people in place for that to happen, because right now, it's so easy to get stonewalled on making any type of, ad, you know, real advancement on something, you know, there's paperwork here, paperwork there, and oh, it got denied, so now you gotta appeal this, and. Yeah, it, it can get really frustrating sometimes, depending on what the situation is, like uh, this this current situation, like me, myself, I had to check myself, you know, because I was like, I, I wish a motherfucker would ask me where I'm going and all of this. Stuff. But it's like, hey, this, there's a really, really big situation, bigger situation going on. than just my personal feelings, you know, there's it's it's almost a war going on right now kind of like a social war and it's not going to be won by force it's, you know it's a group effort it's not just blacks against whites there are whites on the quote unquote black side who are just tired of it and don't want to live in that world either and i think that falls short of, of some people's sight they they think that it's just this broad stroke division of other people who just and one is to, to die or you know be enslaved or whatever well that's just not the case and it's, it's just it's, it's so complex you know you can't just wipe out everybody You kind of got to do your due diligence and connect with the right people and disconnect with the wrong people I mean there are so many people where it's in their family they they were raised to think a certain way about black people, and if they bring them around, they they would be treated differently, disowned, and and all of this other stuff. And you can't just wait for these people to die, you know, because they have grandkids, and their grandkids are probably mixed with with something else. And it's just I don't know, man.
0: <laughs> it's not sad, but now it comes down back down to that individual responsibility, right? Like. Like my, so my grandma, um, she did genealogy in her, um, in her spare time. So that's like looking up into our ancestors and our yeah. history. And she found that you know my bloodline in this country goes all the way back to the Mayflower on both sides, which is kind of interesting to think about. Um, and so my whole family in the beginning parts of this country, um, you know, engaged in what was normal back then socially. So they, you know, they had housekeepers that were black and, um, you know, I don't know if they, you know, owned slaves or not, but still they engaged in what was the social norm. I, I can even remember my great granddad, I would visit him in Wichita, Kansas, and um the day he died, he had like three um black housekeepers. Um and I would love going over there. Uh they would just spoil the shit out of me and my brother. And um Mm. and but it, it was still, you know, I recognized that at a very young age, like, oh this is interesting. Um all of his all of his uh staff are of the same race. Um and I, you know, so my family engaged in that and part of what I was getting to this personal responsibility, like it's it's my responsibility as a white male uh, to recognize um, you know how I unknowingly most of the time engage in uh, white oppression or the continuing of, of the dominant you know uh, patriarchy that's oppressive and you know recognize what my family did uh, and do something different you know that's my responsibility is to you know look at look at you know, because I didn't engage in anything, you know, like that myself. And I think it's easy for for newer generations to just sort of dismiss it and be like, oh, well, I've, I've never owned slaves. Well, yeah, but right. your family is probably connected to something like that. And I'm not saying we need to take responsibility for our ancestors because I have no control over that, but I need to recognize that that's what I come from and to do whatever I can from whatever, um, you know, position of white power I'm in right now because of the color of my skin. I need to do whatever I can to utilize that to help uh, marginalize and oppressed people, have a voice and, and to, um, you know, get, get some things changed, man. Like that's my responsibility uh, is to do that. And I hope that others listening to this recognize that that's, that's what they have to do too, you know, to dismantle that
1: yeah I mean, because we you know it's it's gonna take a group effort, even during the civil rights movement, you know, white people were killed, who were trying to help, you know freedom riders and and things like that. and you know the onion of it all is just about every culture at one point or another was enslaved, yeah. you know yeah, you look at the Romans they they enslaved Europe and you know. Part of what Gaul or whatever and of course Africa and with the, the Hebrews and the Christians making them build pyramids or whatever it's, it's not just unfortunately is it seems like America was the only or the worst but yeah it's been something that's has been a part of our society since probably the beginning of time uh, it doesn't make it right it, it, it needs to be addressed and, and recognized, but I don't think it's, it's not gonna be a, a switch or anything like that to flip it over. Because even with these things that should have brought us together, like 9-11, it, you know, to see the towers fall, that was heartbreaking. But then to see all these civilians of different cultures and races lining up, volunteering to help get people out of there, you know, that was, that was awesome. But, you know, at the same time, then all of the hate and everything started going to, you know, the Middle East and people who come from that country. It's like, there's always going to be a, a, I don't know, someone to hate or whatever, someone to blame, unfortunately. And there's just not enough of internal looking to saying, you know, what am I doing to help or hurt the situation? So I'm I'm glad to hear you say that. And yeah, I hope uh, people are listening. It's, It's not about race really but it is but ultimately it's just good people and bad people and we just need to get more good people out there as best as we can because they're kind of going to shit right now
0: <laughs> yeah so i don't want to leave leave the show on a sad note because i think we're all feeling some of the initial impacts um and we'll feel some of the the longer lasting impacts of what's going on right now but i'd like to leave us on more of a uh, a positive note. Um, someone that I really look up to, and uh, I'm sure you've heard in the news. Um, what do you think about Mike Tyson coming back uh, and looking for a fight? You know, having the, having his uh, inner fire reignited and
1: looking for a, a return fight. What do you think about that? <laughs> man, I I don't know, man. I think that should failed. I mean, nope. he's against Tyson Fury or something like that. I I don't think that would be realistic.
0: You think he smokes too much weed?
1: (laughs) No, I don't think he smokes. Maybe he doesn't smoke enough. (laughs) (laughs) I got there because he was, I listened to his podcast and he was talking to Sugar Ray Leonard about how he didn't want to be back in that mindset. And now he's kind of right back in it.
0: Yep, I agree. I agree. He was talking to Rogan about that too. how you know even working out would ignite his ego and he was trying to get rid of that and cannabis was really helping him with that and then all of a sudden he made this switch and he's like holy shit like now now my ego is reignited and um i've heard i've heard rumors that he would fight tito ortiz in the mma match um i heard that he would fight tyson fury <laughs> i heard that he would box uh, evander holyfield um I, I think it would be interesting whatever matchup he gets. Um, I would just love to see old Mike back
1: in the in the ring.
0: He still seems pretty
1: vicious. I gotta say, man, his boxing was beautiful. I mean, for him to be the size that he was, fight like those guys. I mean, to do what he did, it was awesome. You know, and these to me, i, I kind of. I think Leonard is like the greatest of all time, but Tyson's accomplishments. I, I didn't even think he was a true heavyweight to be fighting at that. He was more like a kool or something, just of the size. But, yeah, he, he had beautiful boxing, no doubt.
0: Yeah, I'm wondering uh, how much power he's got left in those old
1: hands. Shit, I'll throw my hat in the ring. Hell, you want to have an MMA fight, I'll, draw, I'll go ahead and go around a two with Tyson. Yeah, as long as they pay you a couple of A straight Yeah, not boxing, though. Either jiu-jitsu or, or MMA, going straight to the ground. But on second thought, no, I don't, I don't want that. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, Leglock City, right? Yeah, but still, I mean, he is Tyson. He he has that mentality. And just to, for him to go through what he went through and, and to make it, I mean, that story is just extraordinary, you know he definitely could have ended up in prison or something, but he ran into the right person and was able to connect with him and flip that switch. And, you know, one of the greatest fighters of all time. Yeah, I agree. What about that John Jones? He was taking, that, uh, taking the spray cans from those kids.
0: Um, I mean, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of John Jones. Um... I hung out with him a number of years ago before he was a champ um, in New Mexico one night, Albuquerque. And he's, he's a blast, you know, he's really nice, really fun. Um, But man, I think he makes some decisions that are questionable and who wouldn't, you know, being in his position too. Like I, I mean, I don't think I'd do some of the stuff he did, but um, for sure, like, you know, living that kind of lifestyle is, is super tempting. Um, As far as the, the spray cans, like it, but I don't know. Part of me, it just seemed a bit staged. Um, oh. and, it, and I think, you know, it, it's a good thing, you know, if it's real and you've taking them away, like, sure. Like we should not be destroying our own communities, you know, take it, take the, take the spray painting to corporate America. Who's, who's been oppressing you uh, on a much higher level and, and deface their buildings. Um, So if John Jones was protecting his own community, like, uh, by all means, do that and use your status, use your celebrity to do so. I saw Chuck Liddell doing something similar uh, in Huntington Beach. Uh, I saw an article about that. So I think that's really good. Um, But to me, it just seemed a little bit staged and all the publicity that he got afterwards. It seemed like um, him and his publicist were probably trying to get some pump some positive media out there about John Jones uh, because I think like a week or two ago, something else got it right. it was bad news.
1: Wow. I didn't even think of that, man. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. That's a bit more thoughtful. I fell right into it. <laughs> I fell right into it.
0: And this is all speculation, but uh, you know, I, I kind of pride myself being a, a mental health therapist. I can pick up on body language and small cues and I don't know, it, it seemed, it seemed not entirely uh, like it was, it was truthful.
1: Wow, that's, well, I got to look into that. There there was one question I wanted to ask you, though, I know we're short on time, um, like psilocybin or, or mushrooms, that, that's something I always wanted to try out. Um, but I, I kind of have a concern, like, I won't, like, quote, unquote, come back. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I Like who I am right now. I like the direction I'm going in, but I, I do kind of want to see whats what's inside or what's on the other side without too much affecting what I'm doing right now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I think that's a common fear. Um, and you know certainly with with all the you know propaganda out there about psychedelics, um, it's easy you know it, I don't blame you for for thinking that way. Um, and in a way, it's it's partially true, but I don't want to say that to scare you. I want to say that to be encouraging. And, you know, it's true that once you, you know, once you take mushrooms, and by the way, um, mushrooms have been proven to be one of the least toxic substances on the planet. So there's like zero risk of any sort of um, physical harm coming to you uh, unless it's, you know, self-imposed. So I always... I suggest that people do it around people they trust uh, and in a safe environment um, mm-hmm. but it's partially true because once you once you take the mushrooms, you don't come back the same um, once you've seen the unseeable you can't you know you can't unknow that uh, you get to see this whole other level um, this whole other dimension that always exists around you, but we're sort of blind to because our brain the way it filters information, it only allows certain frequencies in and uh, mushrooms will allow you to see these other dimensions. So you'll, you know, you'll take this, here's here's an example of how you you might change and be different. So you might take some mushrooms and then uh, you might have a legitimate conversation with a tree um, where you feel like it's communicating to you. You're seeing vibrations reverberate off of it and respond to your your speech. And then you come out of the tree you'll come out of the trip and you'll be forever changed because you'll, you'll never doubt that a tree is just a plant. It's just an inanimate object. You'll, you'll be forever changed. And you'll think that, you know, holy shit, this is a living thing and everything around me is living and it all has ties to consciousness. So like in a way, yes, you'll go in and you'll come back different, but it's, uh, it's almost always for the better. Um, if you have a clear life direction that, that you are um, that you're set on and you're happy with, if you're genuinely happy with the way your life is going right now, it's not going to like disrupt that. If anything, it's going to enhance the beauty that you already see in your life and motivate yeah. you to push further. It will show you different pathways that you can take to to find success in whatever you're doing. It can clear up blockages in, in your mental, if you're planning for things, um, usually, you know, it's people who have, uh, who are like questioning who they are, who are, um, you know, really unhappy at a job and want to change. It's those people who tend to have more of what you would call a bad trip, even though there's no such thing. It's just, they'll have a more challenging time in the experience because it amplifies whatever you go in to the experience with. So if you're loving life and you're loving your direction, it's going to amplify that. If you're hating life and you're hating where you're at, it's going to show you all those things about your life that you hate. And it's going to make you face those so that you can overcome them. It's going to show you pathways out of what you're currently in. And then when you come out of it, it's up to you to put things into action. So it's not like you're going to, you're going to go off into psychosis and never come back. You will come back and you'll come back different. You'll come back better. And hopefully you'll come back with more appreciation for the path that you're set on.
1: Does that make sense? Yeah, man, that was, that's awesome. I, I love to applaud that. I'm I'm sold again.
0: <laughs> yeah, and you know it's not for everybody, but um, these mushrooms have been with the human species since the beginning of our time, so um you know i have a strong belief that the mushroom itself is sentient it has an awareness and it's trying to communicate its message with us and the way that it does that best is molecularly on a chemical level you know you have to ingest the wisdom and then the you know the molecules of the mushroom interact with your molecules and it's literally a communication of the divine on the molecular level that you get to experience with your human consciousness it's really quite cool and animals do it too animals eat psilocybin mushrooms too and it's you know a lot of them have the same experiences
1: wow wow awesome yeah we got to get together sometimes so we could uh help me coordinate that yeah we'll talk you know when, uh, when jujitsu again you know when the gym's opening up well it's far further the physical part
0: of it. Yeah. Uh, well, our gym is open right now. Um, you just gotta get a hold of Z, and um, you know you gotta sign up for a time slot. We're following all of the uh, Larimer County guidelines. You have to, you gotta work out with a with a you know face mask and keep your social distance. Um, Ten people at a time allowed in the gym, but uh, we're making it work. Making it work. So get back in there. Yeah
1: yeah eventually because like it's like playing the guitar or something like that you know and once you get to a certain level you're supposed to come up with your own style and everything probably like at brown or something like that and i haven't played the guitar in a while you know so i'm probably almost back at a white belt at this point i do got to get back out there
0: yeah it'll all come back pretty quick it'll come back quick so well, Tori, I want to say thank you again for joining me on the show today. Uh, what an amazing talk and so enlightening for me. Um, I learned a ton from you. And uh, so interesting how similar a lot of our background is. I think, it, it, you know, getting to know you better today on the, on the show and helping the audience get to know you a little bit better, hopefully will you know, tear down some assumptions. And, um, you know, it's, it's, a, it's an honor and a pleasure to have you as a friend, sir.
1: Yeah, you too, man. I really appreciate you bringing me on. It was awesome. And uh, yeah, like you said, I got to know you better and uh, looking forward to great times in the future.
0: Yeah, so if you had anything to leave the audience with, you know, a little piece of Ontario wisdom, um, this is your piece you can kind of add to the collective puzzle. What would that be? What
1: would you say to the audience? Jeez, wasn't ready for that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say, get right internally. Uh, make sure that that person you see in the mirror is good to go to face the world, because there are going to be people hacking at it all day, every day. So you want to fortify yourself as much as possible. Love yourself first before you can learn to love others.
0: Nice. I like that. All right. So until next time, thanks for listening. And uh, we're out. What an incredible show. Thank you so much, Ontario, for joining the show, uh, even though we had to do it via Zoom um, and uh, the video wasn't working that well. But all the listeners will get the full audio, which is what you just heard. So thank you so much for listening. Please remember to like and share all of our posts that we put out there. Uh, Let's get the word out. Let's have more of these conversations, people. That is how we're, uh, you know, we're all kind of stuck in this place of, you know, what do we do with all this um, this amazing energy that's being um, generated around social change? What do we do about it? Um, how do we channel that energy? Um, hopefully, from this podcast, you guys, uh, I know I certainly got some ideas on how I'm going to do it. But think about, you know, what can you do in your uh, household? What can you do in your neighborhood? What can you do in your local community? To improve uh, the lives of yourself and of others Um, so until next time thanks for listening and remember be nice to each other folks it makes the whole world better you have no idea the ripple effects that happen because of your niceness to others so be nice because uh when you're not nice those things have ripple effects too And, uh, we have no idea how they're going to come back. So until next time, this has been conversations with the mind. Peace.